Welcome to The Positive Effect. My name's April Sobral, and I am the founder of RetailU.ca and the author of The Positive Effect, a retail leader's guide to changing the world. I've had an amazing 25-year career in retail where I've traveled across the globe. I have worked and inspired thousands of leaders. And in this weekly podcast, I bring to you my retail friends and network conversations that will inspire you and encourage you to further your career in retail or beyond. We talk about leadership lessons learned and tips and tricks that can help you be a successful leader. So get ready to be inspired. And if you're looking for more leadership development, sign up at www.retailu.ca. And I'll see you on a live call soon. And I am uber excited today to have Laura Rappo on my show. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you, April. So excited to be here, my friend. I've been looking forward to this all week. Oh, it's my favorite day of the week when I get to have amazing conversations. And so today we're celebrating the positive effect of your leadership, Laura. Um, in the retail community and really going to dive into your story. So, Laura, it's all about you today. (laughs) No pressure at all, April. No pressure at all. (laughs) No, it's just a conversation between two inspiring women in business. (laughs) I I am honored to be here. Thank you for having me today. So we always like to start off with your story of like how you got into retail. You know, like retail is one of those careers, as we know, that's kind of undervalued and it's an amazing, you've had an amazing career. So I'd love you to share with our viewers your story and how you got into retail. I know a little bit more now. I'm going to talk about your book later because <laughs> I've been reading it. But yeah, can you share how you got into retail? Was it intentional? Was it accidental? And then walk us through, you know, some of your retail journey and what you've learned. You bet. I would say, oh gosh, yet another one of your guests that doesn't work in the industry that I have a degree in. I have a journalism degree from St. John's University. It has been my lifelong desire to be a writer and I needed a job in college. So I took a part-time night, part-time job at Macy's. I worked in ladies lingerie, certainly not as glamorous as it sounds to the outside world. Uh, And I picked up a few more hours. I had a very good coach and mentor. uh, And I worked there probably three years that I was in college. And I'm getting out of school. I'm looking for what I'm going to do with this fancy degree. And my coach says, you you have a knack for this operation stuff. You know, would you consider a retail career? And never crossed my mind before. I thought it was a good stopping point until I went on to my real job. And he nominated me for the operations trading squad in Macy's and I was drafted and literally the rest is history. So I never looked back. That's amazing. So you went from Macy's to like, just walk us through a little bit your trajectory on retail. Cause I think this is really inspiring for young retail leaders to kind of hear that moving up the ranks and how you did that. A lot of people I work with are always asking me that question. How did you become a VP? You know, I think for I think for me, April, I'll give you the very short version of the story. I started out as a stores girl, so we're literally worked my way up the ranks. So there was a lot of hustle involved. There was a lot of trust involved for my leaders, and I worked my way up through the ranks in on the Macy side. I became a department manager, an operations manager, 
I moved in and out of home office and store assignments, but I would say I think the secret sauce of what makes me unique is that I started in stores and I have never let that move from the center of my universe. So I worked my way up through the Macy's ranks, uh, bigger stores, bigger home office assignments. My last Macy's assignment was the big store in Herald Square, which did about a half a billion dollars in sales at that time, which wow. was insane, but so much fun from an organizational point of view. And then I spent some time in specialty, another story there for another day, mm -hmm. uh, and tried my hand at specialty stores and found out that I had a knack for specialty. And I, and I moved through the ranks in all the organizations I've been in, moved over to Limited, worked in operations at the Limited. Uh, but again, bigger assignments, operational based. I stay curious in, mm -hmm. in many places. My mentors pulled me into assignments that I didn't even know was available. So I think one of the one of the many lessons to be learned, April, is the power of connections and mentorship and really honing in with a great coach who can help you be the best version of you. I spent some time in limited brands. I, uh, after limited brands, I went to Macy's again. Sometimes you have to learn the lesson twice. And that would be one of the lessons I would tell my younger self. Sometimes the universe keeps giving you the lesson until you've learned the lesson. So, so fun. Uh, and then I worked, you know, I worked for Lenscrafters Oakley, uh, where I became head of retail. Life changing when you're head of retail. You know, I was able to take all the skills and tools I had on the operations side. And now I was given the responsibility and the accountability of thousands of associates in my care. Game changer. Absolutely. Um, and then I went over to the body shop where it all came together as a women's empowered activist brand. And then through some changes up in the pandemic, I wind up, you know, where I started with my journalism degree many, many moons ago, writing a book and sitting here as the chief operating officer in Strand Books. That's amazing. Um, and it's like full circle. And I have your book here. You, I see. I absolutely love <laughs> the power of putting grace, a woman's journey yeah. to put the heart back into retail leadership. Why did you call it? that putting the heart back into retail leadership explain that to us because i love that you know we went through a few iterations of titles and I, I think the iterations of titles mirrored the iterations of my career so starting in department stores it was a very male dominated space you were given your gold stars if you will by how rough you were how gruff your exterior was how aggressive you were uh, and then when I moved into specialty, I worked for a really powerful C-suite of fierce women who led another way. And they, they helped me understand that you can be fierce and you can be kind. And for me, that's, that was the nugget that I took through the latter part of my career and was often told I was you know, too soft at times. Interestingly, yeah. as I compare it to my younger self, which was too intense. Um, <laughs> and when we came to terms with the title, it was, if I look at leadership today, that's what we have to bring to the table. We have to bring our whole selves. We have to bring heart. And I think that's what makes us, you and I included in the, the, the folks on the, on the podcast, that's what makes us different leaders. And that's what we're going to need to get us to the future. That's what we're going to need to get us to the future, 100%. I mean, I'm going to dive into the book a little bit because um, in one of the chapters, you write, influencing is exhausting. <laughs> which I thought is such an interesting point of view. It goes on to say, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how much of a subject matter expert you think you are, or how loved your voice is. Believe you me, I learned those lessons the hard way. You can't force it. People need to trust you. 
I love that. Oh my God. Because I've had conversations with leaders in the past saying to them on my team, it doesn't matter how technical you are or how good you are at operations. If a team won't follow you, Absolutely. you will not get the results. Absolutely. Absolutely. I learned that lesson. I remember when I learned that lesson and, and talk about bringing the train to reality town. I'm, I'm working in Macy's. I'm at the top of my game. I am exactly who I think I should be. And we are delivering, gosh, double digit comps. We are, we are delivering the projects we need to deliver. And we did a 360 survey, a 360 degree survey. And the feedback that I got was very consistent. It was that I was very intense. I was very on point. They just wish I showed how much I cared more. Mm. Direct hit, April. <laughs> Direct hit. I thought I was kinder and gentler. Clearly not. Yeah. That's like a real lesson in perspective, right? And perception. Oh, without a doubt. I, I, I pulled out when I wrote the book, I pulled out the feedback notes because I still had them tucked away and it, it I felt my whole self tense up like the first time I read it because wow. they were telling you that I had all the technical skills to do the job. They just wanted to know more of me personally. They wanted me to care more. They wanted me to outwardly care more. And, and if I fast forward to where that is today in the pandemic, that is the way we will lead from this point forward. One girl's opinion. Hmm. But it's a very, it's a very good opinion. What are your, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to come back to the book in a minute. But what are your thoughts on giving back then? Because you're saying like about caring, you've done a lot of amazing things through the pandemic at the Strand Bookstore and for giving back. I saw you speaking yeah. in New York uh, at the Women in Retail, like just a little, you know, yes. a couple of weeks ago and you challenged us all. I left that meeting feeling challenged, like honestly, to do more and give more. So what are your thoughts on giving back as it relates to business? Gosh, April, we live in a world where everything that we've known two years ago is we just we have just hit the, the largest reset in, in leadership. We have hit the largest reset in our lifetimes and we get a do over. Right. Very few times in life do we get a mulligan. Mm. And I think one of the pieces that is more important than ever to employees and to consumers is corporate social responsibility. So I will put it I'll tell you a story because I'll put it in the context in terms of who did it well. Right. When I worked for the body shop, we were who we said we were on the inside and on the outside. We were a women's activist brand and we were who we said we were. We brought 8,300,000 signatures to the United Nations to end animal testing and cosmetics. For one of my conferences, one of my shop manager conferences, we decide, you know what, we're in Austin, Texas, we're going to host a climate strike. Okay, who does that? Who does that? <laughs> we, have, we have signs, we have pull horns, we are out on the state capitol without a permit, hoping that we are not going to get arrested because that would be a really crazy call to my folks. Where are you, baby girl? Yeah, I'm a John Austin. <laughs> Insane. But we had this depth of character and the social responsibility. We, with 180 other CEOs, signed up uh, for uh, laws banning uh, women's reproductive rights. And that that is very near and dear to who we are. 
and and locally, you know, we 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 acted locally as well. Uh, city Relief is a group that I do a lot of work with, uh, who supports the our homeless neighbors in New York City. Uh, what we did with the corporate group was we went on outreach. So we paid for volunteer time. We let folks walk the streets with hygiene kits and, and bomba socks and sleeping bags. And what folks walked away with April was that we we had a choice in life to do something and do nothing. Mm. And doing nothing was not an option. I love that. What would you say to people finding this conversation and encouraging them um, to act, to, to take action? Because it's, you know, the corporate world or the environment of like not wanting to ruffle things or say things or step outside of the box, right? Like that's a reality in leadership. Employee activism is not going away. So the, the companies that embrace it will be the ones that succeed. So I would encourage my fellow C-level partners to really look at their organization to understand what their value system is. The people that they hire are being drawn to these companies because they have the same value system. And we have to allow people to, br people to bring their whole selves to work. I'm the same person I am on the outside of work as I am the inside of work. And, I, and that was not always the case, but it's going to require a high degree of trust. And it's going to require that we empower people to come to work, to be their whole selves and we reward it. And it's very scary territory. I mean, we, we went through these same machinations in the body shop. We activated over 100 stores and we said, OK, do we need to give them the boundaries or do we tell them what to do? Do we tell them what causes to support? How do we know it's the wrong cause, the right cause? And where we landed was we created boundaries that were around our corporate values and our corporate ethos. Mm. And we found that once we empowered the, the store managers, what they were able to do was activate what was important in their communities. So it wasn't a one size fits all April. It was really, they dug into the need in their community that, that, and they looked to see what, what space they could fill. And we gave them volunteer hours to do so. And that was, you know, for me, one of the great things about the body shop was that we paid folks to volunteer. And that is very unique. Yeah. You don't find that very often. I remember that at David's tea, we gave the stores like a budget of hours and they could kind of do things in their own community and the power of what that does to your business right? And how people show up in your business. Because I would say you can pay people to do a job, right? Absolutely. Or you can have a positive effect on people's uh, like total life and emotions and ignite that positive emotion towards you as a leader. And I think back in the day, it was like separate your emotions and like yeah. don't show them and don't talk about that. Just give them a little bit so that they know that you're human. But I'm like today, if you don't ignite positive emotions towards you as a leader at the top or as that business, like what are you really like how how are you going to motivate and inspire the team to actually perform and deliver for you because it's it's really about igniting that movement in an organization that creates those positive results right oh 100 and i think the piece that i want to make sure that we incorporate here april it's it creates the positive effect but but the the, the for me the the piece that's so important is leaders need to lead with vulnerability a very overused word in this world and we need to create safe space for folks to express themselves not all conversations yeah. are going to be great we live in a world where people are bringing their outside selves to work we are having way more conversations about mental health and, and that is 
that is very important to the choices that people are making. And, you know, as an employer, if we want to be an employer of choice, we have to provide those safe spaces and we have to apply, we have to create the opportunities for folks to live in a holistic manner. Yeah. And I think that what that requires is dropping judgment, dropping assumptions. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, that's so, so hard because somebody asked me the other day, well, but if you drop judgment, don't you have to measure people? And I'm like, yeah, but that's different. You have a role, you have expectations, you have, you know, results to deliver, right? Like we all have, we all want to create more jobs for people. So we have to deliver results, but that's on the job requirements of like meeting those performance. And as long as you're clear on that, but that's very different to judging somebody personally, Absolutely. you know, personally. Absolutely. And, and I think if we play it, I think if we play it a little farther, April, you know, to go back to your point on the conversation, the meeting that we were at uh, when we when we activated uh, against when we activated forces to support the Ukraine. Uh, for me, the consumers are making different buying decisions based on who the company is and what their social responsibility is and what their words are and what their actions are. Mm-hmm. So you look at the list of companies that have not pulled out of Russia. People are making conscious decisions not to support those companies because of how they do business. So, so not only nice to do, required to do. Right, right. So I'm going to jump into a little bit more of your book. Go. What's one of, because I haven't read it all yet. I've read a lot of it, but I'm finishing it on my (laughs) vacation this week. I love it. What's one of the most pivotal leadership lessons that you share in the book that you can share with our audience? Gosh, so, so many. But I think for me, it was the transition from department stores to beauty. When I realized there was another way to lead. When I, when I realized I was doing what I knew, because that's what I knew how to do, but it wasn't my authentic self. So I, I used the term drop the mask, like in Jim Carrey, the mask. I was encouraged. This was when I was in LensCrafters. I was encouraged to drop the mask and to show the vulnerability and to create a different level of authenticity and connection. And for me, that was, that was the, that was the point in which I, I knew I had to lead differently. I had to lead from my heart. I could, I could be and hold folks accountable, but the expectation was that, that I led the way. And that, that really, that, that played to a few things. It changed who I was as a human uh, and it changed who I was as a leader and different choices of who I chose to work for. Interesting. And you say because of beauty, because is it because beauty is mostly, is it because it's women led or what was that trigger that created that? Or is it just a different environment? What was it? The trigger was the C-suite. So our CEO, Robin Burns, ends a conference call and I will never forget this day. She ends a conference call. It's an all-store call. And she says, I love you all. Wow. And I am just floored. You don't tell anybody you love them at work. These are emotions. As you said before, these are emotions. We don't talk about emotions. We talk about facts. And I watched her in store. So we had the pleasure to, I had the pleasure to go on a number of different jet trips with her. If you remember your jet trip days, she was just so tuned in and so instinctive. We walked into every store and she would say hello to every single employee. And we didn't walk out until she spoke to everyone. And her game was hearts. So she would dial in the younger leaders to play a game of hearts with her. 
And as we played hearts, she would teach us things about business, things about fragrance, things about life. It was her teaching moment. And I said, okay. And, and when you see her in the boardroom, wowee, she is one to be reckoned with. Top of her game, one of the fiercest women leaders that, I, that I've ever met and had the pleasure of working for. And she was kind. And she held you accountable and you, and you knew, but she was kind with it. Mm, I love that. We've all had those leaders um, that have really made an impact in the way that we lead and the way that we perceive leadership, right? What book is your essential reading for leadership and why? Okay, you and I have talked about this. I am a big Brene Brown fan. And one of my bigger leadership lessons has been lessons in vulnerability. And her book, Dare to Lead, uh, and her TED Talk about vulnerability, uh, I would say would be up on my top three, you know, life-changing, seriously life-changing uh, books and TED Talks of all time. For mm -hmm. me, it is all about peeling back the onion of who you are, being vulnerable enough to let folks see that, leading with vulnerability that is not safe at times, requires high risk and requires a lot of courage. So Brene Brown, Dare to Lead, although her Atlas of the Heart is spectacular, as is her, as is her HBO special. So Dr. Brene Brown, go get him. <laughs> and vulnerability, I've heard you say that quite a few times, right? Just in the last 20 minutes. So vulnerability shows up like how in your day-to-day? It shows up that I care and that it's genuine and that it's true. And it's the, for me, when I worked in different organizations, it's the ability to connect to folks. And when you ask them how they are, they really tell you who they are. And sometimes it requires tissues. We have a good cry and they tell you everything that's on their mind and that's okay. Yeah, and we that. can lead from a different space. So that, that, that's what vulnerability means to me. It means that, that, that it's a safe place to have an honest conversation. What do you think, like, if somebody's, you know, looking at your and my career and saying, you know, I want to one day, you know, be the top of retail, what would you tell them? What would you coach them on and, and advise them on to be able to get there? Because I think people ask me that question a lot. And, and I talk to leaders now that like, oh, no, I don't want that responsibility. And I kind of try and shift their mindset on it. But I'd love to hear what advice you would give somebody having that conversation. Sure. Gosh, it's an excellent question. So, so many different layers to it. Uh, I would say my first piece of advice would be to point to the mark, right? If that's what you want to be, then great. Put it, put it out into the universe. However, be open enough to know that that might not be the plan. So what do you like about that job that you want that job and, and keep that in mind because other things come along your path that might fulfill the same need, but it might not hold the same title. So I would say keep an open mind on that. Um, and then, you know, secondly, it, it is truly finding your authentic self and networking. So the, the way I have gotten most of my gigs is because somebody has drafted me, not the other way around. And the more you can network and the more you start to connect with thoughtful leaders and curious leaders, and, and the more you can spend your time in those think tanks, if you will, the more you will get noticed and the more contacts you make and the more you'll know of other jobs that are available that, that will meet your needs. 
yeah because I think networking is people are like you know how do I network and I'm like and the same same thing with me I was recruited to every role I actually never applied for a role which is thinking back now I'm like like how'd that happen but like I always say like know what you want to be known for and then you know your why right like for me, it was when I talk to young leaders, I'm like, okay, it's a lot of responsibility, but you can change things when you're at the top. You can help more people. You can have a bigger reach and a bigger influence. So wouldn't you want to change the things that you don't like what you're doing right now and make a bigger impact? And that kind of shifts the perspective, right? Like, Very but because when I got into the C3, I was like, oh, this is not what I thought it was at all. You know, and uh, but just the ability to kind of bring that because we're from field operations, right? Specifically, bring that field voice to that table is so important, and we need more people like that. And especially now, because you know, we need those leaders behind us coming up the ranks to take those seats. That's going to happen in the next five years. Oh, I I agree one hundred percent, April. It, it is. To, I like where you're going with the with the leadership piece. It's scary to be accountable and responsible for thousands of people's lives is a scary proposition. You gotta be damn sure you know what you're doing. You always have to do the right thing. And it's not about being right. It's about really doing the right thing. You have to understand your responsibility corporately and with the team that you're leading, but I wouldn't shy away from it for a second. I mean, what, what I found with Strand and you and I've talked about it in different contexts is it has given me a platform and I have to use my voice. And if I'm not going to use my voice, then I have to give up the seat because mm. I need to hand it to somebody who will. We can't, we can't live in a world in which we do nothing. And that, no. that's a scary proposition. That's the reality of it. Yeah. And I always, and I look back and I think like that um, executive courage versus managerial courage, right? <laughs> Sometimes you're going to take a risk and say something because you know it's the right, like you said, it's the right thing to do. And it might not be that popular, but it is right thing to do I've had those moments in my career and I also say the more that you move up the more you have to be comfortable with ambiguity because you know when you're in sales operations and you're running a store you're running a district even a region at some point your kind of technical skill your operations like you talk about in your book like the operational technical skill that got you where you are and like me too with that operations but as I moved up and I say this to leaders all the time when I'm coaching you have to let go a little bit and be okay with ambiguity because you're not going to know the answers, which goes back to vulnerability, right? 100%. I mean, April, we are living in the most uncertain times of our life. Nothing is certain. Everyone is still on edge. The entire population is still dealing with the current and after effects of COVID, and that is not going to go away. Yeah. So we can either separate us or it is it has now become something that we have in common. Mm. And this can be the, the, the place that bonds us. Uh-huh. We have a common experience. Yeah, I love that. Such a positive spin on it. That's why I love you, Laura. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I use the word love online. Positives today, just the <laughs> So we're coming to the, the we're, we're gonna start wrapping up in a minute. This conversation, yeah, I can always talk all day, but we can't. We've got work to do. So, so what are your like, you know, parting words of wisdom and insight and advice for anybody who's thinking about you know, being successful in their leadership and really developing their leadership skills to, to grow, develop, or be a successful retail leader in the next five to 10 years? What's, what's your best pieces of advice? Oh, goodness. I, I would say I, I would start with be kind. 
the world is too tough for us not to be kind, first and foremost. Stay curious. And curious means in every sense of the word, whether it's other businesses, whether it's people, whether it's what's happening in the outside world, inside world, customers, employees, stay curious. And the last would be be humble. So to your point earlier, I think what, what, I've, what I've learned even more so in the last two years is a humility and a compassion that I thought I had before, but I have at a very different level. And it's, I don't have the answers, April. We're all, we're all going through this for the, for the first time. I'm going to mess it up sometimes. Sometimes we're going to be wrong. I'm making the best decisions I have based on the information I have today. And there has to be mutual accountability for us to call us on it. I love, that. I love that compassion. I thought I was compassionate, but I found myself in situations over the last six months when somebody's really stressed yes. and they're maybe projecting their stress. And instead of like, who do they think they are? What are they saying? I'll say, I'll, I'll put this on me. I'll, I'll do this self-coaching question. How would compassion respond to this? Yes. And it just makes me say, hold on a second. I'm going to show compassion. Absolutely. Right. When showing compassion is like when somebody comes at you in their stress, that's, that's a whole different level of compassion than what we exercise. Absolutely. I have to ask my, I do, the, I do the same exercise. I have to take, like I take a deep breath and you have, and I have to think from a compassionate place of, am I creating a safe space? a safe space for this person to feel seen and heard mm. and it has taken every ounce of courage for them to tell me the story and their reaction to sharing this again is completely based on my reaction to their story and who the hell am i to judge right very, very different very different april well that's why laura you're such a successful leader and build amazing teams and have people that have followed you around from organization to organization to work on your team. And I feel truly blessed to have you in my network and call you a friend now. And, you know, thank you so much for jumping on the positive effect and sharing what you've learned, your insights, your knowledge in such a positive way. And uh, yeah, I just look forward to, you know, your book coming out. Everybody, this is coming out in summer. Summer 2020, yes. You have to get it. Um, so I'm really excited. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you too, April. You are a blessing. And thank you for all the positivity you are putting in the world, friend. We are better because of it.